why do I think this is gonna be massive? Because we have a gymnastics studio and a dance studio and a basketball court in every town in America and hopefully some squash courts as well. How can we leverage the hours after school and after work to, to heal the social fabric in this country? I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. 10 years ago, things were a bit different for squash in America. U.S. squash was about to stage its first U.S. Open at Drexel. And the old, old push for a national squash center, proper headquarters, with courts, a hall of fame, and offices, was no more than a bullet point on a long to-do list. And Barrett Dickesian was still in college at the start of his senior year at Bowdoin. Well, a decade later, and everything has changed. This month, the Arlen Specker U.S. Squash Center officially, and with the 2021 U.S. Open, grandly opens its doors. It's the world's largest community squash center, 65,000 square feet, 20 courts, and a load of classrooms, workout facilities, and locker rooms. Barrett Takesian is a part of it. He's the senior advisor for community programs. He's helping lead the U.S. Squash Community Initiative, which is focused on providing access and lifelong engagement in squash to people spanning the entire socioeconomic spectrum, fostering lasting relationships across generations, genders, races, religions, and building a lasting and diverse community rooted in shared values. This past summer, I was fortunate to visit Barrett at Portland Community Squash, where he's the executive director, and I was blown away by the sense of community there. It's a real diversity and a real sense of belonging. And now he's helping U.S. Squash intentionally replicate that model at the Spectre Center and across the country. Barrett and I sat down in the Spectre Center in Philadelphia to record this interview. We were, as you might hear, in the mostly empty archive room at the Spectre. Barrett's enthusiasm, it's contagious. He says, dress your best and wear squash shoes. I began, as I often do, by asking Barrett about his squash biography. My introduction to the sport, I grew up in Southwest Harbor, Maine, which is right next to Acadia National Park. My family built boats for generations up there. My grandfather told me never to get into the boat business, which was fine with me because I couldn't stand sailing as a kid. I thought it was extended periods of boredom with moments of terror <laughs> uh, intertwined with that. So getting, getting wet and cold. Exactly. So, you know, I wanted to be Nomar Garcia Parra or some famous baseball player growing up, but um, my introduction to squash was through a guy named Chris Sparr at the University Club in Boston, introduced me to the game. My, my uncle was living in Boston at the time. My family was moving down that way. And it, it was a sport that as a little guy, I could, I could excel at and took advantage of some of my hand-eye. Mm -hmm. And just, just like many kids, ended up making a lot of my best friends through the game. Right got discovered, if you will, by a 90-year-old uh, named Frank Millett, who was an institution at, at Milton Academy, and he recruited me to play in high school. I earned the nickname Little Big Mouth on my first day of practice. Um, I was a, you know, a tenacious competitor without a lot of uh, trained technique. So I wanted to, you know, I thought I should be playing top of the ladder day one, but... Right. I was a pretty mediocre player most of my, most of my schooling, ended up going to Bowdoin College, yep. um, captaining the team there, but I came in playing 11, um, you know, I wasn't a standout player, yep. 
but I had another great mentor, Tomas Fortson was the coach at Bowden, taught me how to turn my body and get through a backhand. And I played a little bit top three, um, but ultimately it's always been about community for me. And um, I always thought of myself as a community builder, that was something I wanted to do. And ultimately squash would end up being the tool that I would use um, right. to, to bring, you know, build community in Maine, my home state. So that was my exposure to the sport. Well, and you had these great mentors. Uh, I mean, Frank was a legendary guy coaching for, you know, 60, 70 years mm -hmm. at, at, at Milton and, uh, and having just generations of, of people that loved, loved him and loved, loved Milton Squash. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he turned 100 years old and passed away later that year. Right. When I visited him, he had a laundry basket next to his bed that was just filled with letters. He, you know, Frank Millett's thing was he'd write, he'd write letters to every player every year. Uh, handwritten. Um, yep. Handwritten calligraphy. calligraphy yep. And he never forgot a player, too. And, you know, he had James Taylor and Deval Patrick, the governor of Massachusetts. But you know, he remembered the big names, but he remembered every every name in between as well. So when he was in his final days, all those letters came right back to him. And that's when I realized that being in education, being in youth development, um, you, you know, you might not find the monetary riches in your earlier years, but you're going to be relationship rich when it matters. Um, and, and that's always stuck with me. That's really powerful. So you said earlier today that uh, you were living in, in Portland, Maine, and maybe working insurance, or and 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 you started uh, just not even with squash, but just getting back into working with young people as a as a big brother, big sister mentor. Was that how it all actually started with that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when they're indoctrinating you into the insurance company, they're they're trying to you know trying to help you justify you spending the next 30 years at their company. And they said, you know, what you do during the day here matters, but it's really what you do after work. Well, I took that literally. And I started volunteering all over the place with, uh, started some youth programs at the local YMCA, mentored a uh, student through Big Brother, Big Sister. Mm -hmm. He was seven years old back then. Now he's asking me to help him uh, learn how to drive stick shift uh, as a teenager. So I've, you know, some of those early day lessons have, have definitely stuck with me. And eventually I was just having too much fun volunteering. I went to work for Squash Busters, found another great mentor in Greg Zaff, right. helped launch the Lawrence program. Ultimately at that point with the dream of starting my own program back in Portland. Right. How long were you at, at Squash Busters? Couple Two years. years. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you really absorbed that, the ethos of that, of that, that community and absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and just understanding that organizations are built with human capital and every relationship is important. And Greg's whole theory was do the work well, make the relationships authentic and meaningful, and the money will follow from there. Right. So I was commuting from Portland, Maine to Lawrence, Massachusetts, five, six days a week for a couple of years. And when I was back in Portland, I was building a network of people that might be able to launch a community squash center but I was also meeting kids in local schools, volunteering with other youth development organizations, right. developing those real grassroots relationships, which would have the biggest return on investment down the line. Uh, then the initial step squash wise was you're, you were, were you playing uh, on the racquetball courts at the wine, the local wine? Like how did, how did you get engaged there? 
right? Well, I, you know, like any squash player does, you go, you're in a new, new place, and Portland was a new town for me. I grew up north of Portland, so I found Greg Bourne and the leagues that were were happening at at the YMCA, and there was this amazing interest growing from the adult community, but not a lot with the youth, and mm -hmm. so it was a perfect partnership from day one. Greg was volunteering his time, developing the infrastructure to support the adults and the families, and I was building the infrastructure to get more and more kids involved in the game. Ultimately, I think we would have liked to have grown maybe within the YMCA, right. uh, but but different, different priorities and strategic goals um, between our emerging organization and the Y, so uh, ultimately it became clear that we were gonna have to build courts and, and and then became the next phase. And the Y had uh, three racquetball courts? They had two racquetball courts and two North American Oh, they squash had two, two old singles courts. Yeah. And so you would play on the two hardball courts? We'd play on all of them. And then, and then, and yeah. the racquetball, and then you converted one of the racquetball? We converted them both. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, we converted them both. Right, yeah. So you had sort of four usable yeah. courts of yeah. funny sizes and just getting out there and having a great time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so the, the genesis of the, so a lot of people say, oh, like, I'm going to, I'm going to start a club, right? You know, I have a vision, your vision of community squash, um, is kind of, it, it's a little bit unique. Uh, and so how did you, how did you conceptualize what you were going to do when you said, you know, we're outgrowing the Y, we need to have a bigger facility that we have more control over and want to expand and do all these things. How did you conceptualize? Portland Community Squash in the beginning? The key, the first step was getting, going around the country and learning what was out there. So I, I had, you know, the opportunity to visit a lot of Squash and Education Alliance programs. I visited private clubs. I visited houses of worship. I visited YMCAs. I visited country clubs. And if you look around, you've got I knew that there was a wide array of programs, everything from just a drop-in clinic to, um, you know, membership programs to, you know, extremely intensive programs like Squash and Education Alliance programs. So Squash already had a huge menu to choose from in terms of what programs we were going to bring. In terms of what the programs would look like and who was going to use them, uh, you know, one of my criticisms of Squash has always been that the uses have been intentionally segregated over the years. And um, in Portland, as I looked around, where were the spaces I was spending my time? The YMCA, which pulls a very representative population from the city. Um, the Portland schools were really well integrated with different national origins and economic backgrounds, languages, races, religions. So I saw um, an opportunity and everyone in Portland helped helped me and the rest of the board get there but we saw let's choose the menu of programs and then let's just make sure that every program we offer is reflective of our city so hmm. a sim simple concept but really just bringing all the best of our sport under one roof and you know a couple years later here we are we're on the eve of a national movement and we've proven that by bringing everyone together, you need to be intentional about it. Right. And that's, you know, that's why people should learn about what the community initiative is because everything we do is very intentional. 
um, and from the selection criteria to the financials and it, you know it needs to be well thought out but if you do it well you're gonna end up with a facility that's more financially sustainable you're gonna see better student and family retention um, a lot of the a lot of the metrics have even surprised us in Portland and I think other cities are gonna see the powerful impacts of of creating representative spaces. So one thing that people say is, well, oh, you know, like our, our town, our city isn't a squash city. Like we have no squash or we have very little squash. We have, you know, a couple of converted racquetball courts at a, at a Y. And, and you, you uh, went on this journey where you built a facility. Tell us a little bit about like, you know, getting this facility, it's a very unusual facility and, and how, you know, there was very little squash at all in, in Portland. And now you have you know 700 people playing, and it's a really vibrant uh, space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we're in we're in an, a former synagogue, and we negotiated the purchase and sale with the entire congregation. The con it was an Orthodox Jewish congregation, and they wanted to see their building go from strength to strength. They used to have 200 families there in the in the, during the high holidays. They had moved down the street into another synagogue. They wanted to make sure it remained a community asset. And that's how we always spoke of it. We spoke of it as a community center, not just a squash club. Right. And yeah, in terms, in terms of building the squash community itself, it, it, took, it takes hard work, you know? So for each person that you'd meet, all 700 people that have signed up for Club Locker and signed up for Leagues, every single person was invited directly. Intentional, yeah. You know, there was no, oh, you know, a little bit, I heard you on the radio or I saw this article, but for the most part, the people that stay in the community are the ones that were reached out to individually and, and those relationships are stewarded. So, you know, um, it's hard for someone in a new market there's a couple options. One, don't choose squash. You know, choose a sport that might be, or an, or an art yeah. that already has traction in your community. But if you are an enthusiast like me, you know, lean into it and start inviting people. Uh, we're working with someone named Karthik in North Carolina right now, right. who was passionate about the game and started teaching on, on a couple courts on the weekends so his kids and others could get exposed to it. So you can go the grassroots yep. direction, which is what we did. Or I think the third piece that I would offer is that U.S. Squash is now making major investments um, to make the technology easier for you, to give you the marketing materials that you need, to document all the best practices. We have the Squash and Education Alliance, which has been sharing best practices for years as well. There, there are a lot more materials available right. and shortcuts you can take to get up, up and running. And if, if, you, if you do find yourself stumbling upon a couple courts that are being underutilized in an, in an old community center or on a college campus, you know, what we find is it oftentimes it's not the money or the location. We're looking for leaders. And you've got to love sending that email out. Who wants, you know, who's coming out to the Thursday night clinic? If you're that person, you're an organizer and organizers build community. All of our communities are hungry 
uh, for communal spaces. And, and after school yeah. uh, programs, you said that today. That yeah. Was, that was interesting how there's such a need for activity after school. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the statistic America after 3 p.m. is a report that comes out every five years from the After School Alliance. Mm. In the United States, for every one student enrolled in after school, there's three students waiting. In Maine, it was even worse. We had five kids looking for programs for every student enrolled. Right. right. So, so the need is there. It's like, so two yeah. days ago, I visited Portland Community Squash and was blown away by a number of things. You know, you have the four courts, beautiful courts uh, in the in the worship uh, space, the old synagogue, um, and the classrooms and locker rooms, yoga room. Um, and what, what I learned was how, um, uh, integrated everything was, it was all layered in there. It wasn't sort of, uh, siloed off in separate categories. Like the classrooms are just separate from the, it was, you, you, your programming is all about integration and, and, and creating, uh, a community of, you know, all ages sort of interacting. Mm -hmm. I found that really powerful to, to see. Yeah, just to share a, a couple lessons from doing this work, that, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of all your different customer types. So when I, every time we meet someone, we're thinking, what's the right program for you? What's the right volunteer opportunity? Um, so let's take a, a student, for example, rather than just offering one program that has a particular intensity to it. Right. Students can sign up for a membership. They can be a member of after school squash. They can sign up for Rally Portland and get intensive academic instruction and wellness along with it. So making sure, making sure that we're really listening and putting kids into the right, right programs that work for them. And then same on the adult side, you know, when, when I approach an adult, it's, you know, where else can you come and get a workout, uh, maybe mentor a student for a little bit, and then have a barbecue and, and, and connect with friends and, and family. So, the, you know, one of the hard things is there's no customer type. You know, we've been, I've been reading how to run business books and things like this, and they always put it in terms of being a tire manufacturer or you know where the product is really well defined you know who your customer is you know right. who you market to right. you know running a community center is there's a reason um, there's a reason that the YMCA has you know or the you know the JCAs have kind of a monopoly on this space is because we don't necessarily make it easy for people to run community centers you're relying on earned revenue fundraising Public, you know, public dollars in some cases. Right. You're managing a facility with a limited staff. You have a lot of different customer types. Right. Um, you know, but you're, but it's becoming. I think it will be a massive, a massive movement in, over the next ten years because first of all, we know the importance of community now after COVID. Right. We also we also relied heavily on our houses of worship in this country for the last hundred years. And if you look at the newer generations, they might not be spending as much time in, in uh, religious right. spaces on the weekends, but they are gravitating very heavily to the arts and sports. Yeah. So, um, not to be too long-winded, but the reason we don't, we talked, about, we talked about creating opportunities for kids. We talked about creating a space for wellness. 
we talk a lot about integration now as well because when polling people in our city, where's the most diverse place you spend your time? You hear the grocery store, sometimes the library. Um, we need more spaces uh, where the entire city feels welcome. Um, and they can connect. Yeah. You, you, had, you said that you, know, you need to spend time with somebody again and again before you become a friend. And, mm. you know, there's a certain number of hours it takes to be you know, deep in that friendship. To, to, and, and, and at the center two days ago, you were, you were saying you, know, you have how, how many people, how many different uh, national origins and right. languages? Is in it? the youth program, 26 countries of origin, 17 languages. Yeah. And that's, that's yeah. extremely mm -hmm. powerful when you're talking about integration and, and people meeting each other of all different kinds of backgrounds. Um, uh, you know, having the commonality of squash and yoga and academics and, um, and just a shared space, physical mm -hmm. space. Uh, both the, the squash board itself and the overall facility having that uh, diversity, that, that intentional diversity uh, is so powerful, right? Yeah, and you know, we just published the Community Squash Framework. It's on the usquash.org website. And it opens with our three pillars, access, equity, and integration. But on the first page of the access slide, it, it, it has cities wrestle with and towns what is cultural diversity in your in your town in your neighborhood right. because you know the cultural diversity looks different in every community portland has this amazing national origin diversity to it we're home to many first and second generation families right. um, but there's just as much cultural diversity in rural vermont it's just different the yeah. diversity is um, you know, might not be racial right. or national origin, but it might be, you know, political ideals or religions. Yep. But these spaces, um, you know, making sure that our spaces are in the neighborhood for the neighborhood, meaning we're bringing, we're, you know, we're, we're truly reflecting the neighborhoods that we're in. And then using the sport as a way to create common ground and have a great time, throw some parties and whatnot but also being brave enough to, to earmark time to wrestle with, with our differences. Because everyone will tell you, I mean, we know what safe spaces are um, and, uh, and in terms of like politically safe spaces, but I think people are also hungry for brave spaces as well, where we can make mistakes and we can, we can share where, where our values and our beliefs come from and we can learn from each other and in Portland, we start, we, we're starting simple. We talk about what holidays we celebrate, um, you know, the con what our concepts of friend friendship are, or uh, th things, things where we can build a lot of trust. But we're moving into how do you feel when you walk past law enforcement, and how does your cultural identity impact that, or what makes you feel welcome when you walk into a space, um, you know, why did you, you know, do you feel do we feel comfortable talking about why we voted a certain way in this city election. Um, so, I don't know, maybe I'm overly I idealistic. I'm 31 years old. You know, I, I went to a bunch of liberal schools that, that uh, you know, right. that impacted me. But, you know, we just keep, we, we keep running with it and, and we're, and uh, it's, 
it's been great. And I'm sure it's going to look different in every place. Right. Here, here we are sitting in the Spectre Center. Yep. 75,000 square feet, um, you know, in between Center City and West Philadelphia. And we won't know what the culture of this building will feel like until those doors open on July 6th. Right. And we're going to have to listen. Um, we're going to have to knock on doors. You know, not, not every constituent in the city is going to necessarily feel like this is their second home until they're invited, until they, they, you know, until they decide that this game is going to be part of their lives and their families' lives. Right. Um, but the great thing is that the country really seems to be mission aligned on this. We want to build these community centers. The whole staff here at U.S. Squash and, and a lot of these other community affiliates that we have around the country in Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, San Diego, everybody, uh, Atlanta, all, you know, all of us are starting to share this similar vision. So we'll get there. It's a matter of when, not if, in my opinion. So as of right now, you, you've got officially half a dozen affiliates. Mm -hmm. And that, and we're right now sitting, we're sitting in the archive room uh, here at the Spectre with where this will, we're, we're saying this is the world's largest version of this yeah. community squash mm -hmm. uh, initiative um, with 20 courts and classrooms and it's incredible space. And, and the idea is sort of in the next five, 10 years, we're gonna have many, many more of these communities, whether it's existing facilities or brand new facilities that are intentionally built with this model uh, uh, out there all over the country and probably all over the world we're, we're gonna see yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, let's zoom out and look macro for a minute. The reason Community Squash is gonna grow so rapidly is we have three different levels of affiliates. We have emerging, which might just be a couple people hanging around an outdoor court, running a couple public clinics a week. So we, you know, it's a very accessible network to join. Then you get to the local affiliate where you start putting financial aid or transportation assistance or inclusive marketing um, behind some of your programs. You become a little bit more intentional. And then finally, the regional affiliates, the Atlantas, the, the Spectre Center, Access Youth Academy in San Diego. Um, and the regional affiliates are putting significant funds behind financial aid. Uh, they're, you know, sharing their best practices and, and hosting national events, right. et cetera. So it, we probably have 40 cities that are pursuing the, you know, that are, that are aligning with this movement. And I would say about half of them are existing facilities, maybe even a college campus that is trying to open the door wider to their courts. And then the other 20 prospects we're working with right now are complete new builds that are putting together the location, the money and the leadership that it takes to start a new program. But, um, and, and also with the Squash and Education Alliance and what they've all achieved where, I mean, collectively there's so much enthusiasm and I love how nimble Squash is at, at embracing a new direction, a new value, whether it's a new scoring system or a new commitment to access, you know, the next year, this is how we do business as a sport. And, it, you know, I'm so thrilled to see Squash commit its resources and its human capital behind this movement, but it's a bigger movement too. 
Um, in all of our cities, we need to be asking more of all of our arts and all of our sports-based programs to focus on access, to think about adding wraparound services and getting into the, you know, the equity game and leveling that playing field and, and to creating space for integration to happen organically as well. So, you know, and why do I think this is going to be massive? Because we have a gymnastics studio and a dance studio and a basketball court in every town in America and hopefully some squash courts as well, you know, the, you know, how can we leverage the hours after school and after work to, to heal the social fabric in this country and, and to, uh, to create that sense of community that, that we all deserve. Yeah. yeah. And you, you were describing, you were telling me that you're involved in a, a sort of coalition of, of groups like Portland Community Squash in Portland. Mm. There's 61 groups. Sure. Right. Yeah. And, and so, a lot of uh, cities have groups doing things, but they're all sort of doing it on their own and they have their own systems and programs and it's not, um, you know, so you're, you're thinking as a, as a whole city, how do we approach these sort of fundamental uh, systemic problems? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, at least in Portland, I'm not, as long as a kid is lining up for a form and can't access a program, I don't think my job's done. I don't think our staff thinks their job's done as well. So if you want to create systemic change, the real, the real trick is just to get everyone r rowing the same direction. And so in some, I was, I've, I've been really impressed by West Philadelphia. They have this entire uh, civic engagement infrastructure created, but we didn't have that in Portland. So we created the out of school time work group. We started convening all 61 youth development organizations. We launched a website that publishes all the opportunities for kids in one place. We put in data sharing agreements and food sharing agreements with the school system. So once people start working together, you collect some data, you see where you're falling short, you come up with a solution, you vote on it, and all the organizations you know, commit to it. And I think it's especially imperative that we're thinking collectively because federal dollars are starting to flow into spaces like after school and summer. It's part of the way that we're gonna combat the opportunity gaps in our cities. But if, if, our, if our out of school time spaces and programs aren't coordinated, no one should, you know, no dollars are gonna to flow to us uh, because we haven't built that infrastructure yet. So yeah, I've been really lucky to do some work with the Brookings Institution in DC, yeah. uh, thinking about the public policy. Uh, I'm acting as the after school ambassador for the state of Maine right now. Um, just trying to build my network because, and, uh, and then obviously I'm staying rooted with Portland Community Squash as the executive director there so that I don't lose touch to, to the kids and families on the ground. You know, the work with U.S. Squash, that's, that's the problem with, um, with getting momentum. It's, 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 uh, it's hard to stop. It's, yeah. yeah it's, well, it's, it's accelerating where yeah. you're, you're traveling around the country and, and uh, meeting with people. And it's, yeah you're, yeah, you're not just at the local level, you're at the national level at the same time. Uh, it's great. Exciting. It's great. Yeah. It's really fun to have the company of, of so many people and so many leaders on the ground too. At U.S. Squash, my partner is going to be Sakura, who's who's the uh, senior manager of community programs here at the Spectre Center, and and to to be able to work with people that have you know grown up in their local communities and know the the traditions and the people. Um, you know, that's really the, 
the key to success and, yeah. and it's, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's so nice to go city to city and get a taste of, of what, um, of what those communities feel like on the ground. Right. Right. Well, well, uh, it's going to look very different. I mean, five years ago, Portland community squash was, you guys opened in 2017. Yes. So five years ago to now, I mean, yeah. five years from now, it's going to look very different all yeah. around the country. And, um, it's really pretty exciting. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Where we'll be in five years. I know. You know, five years ago, this building was the same way, sort of a pipe dream and, mm -hmm. um, you know, to walk around and see all the courts and people on the courts, yeah. um, in the classrooms and, the, the national team members walking through, having mm. just worked out, having yeah. just trained. I mean, just play, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a real dream come true. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Just the, I'm just so excited for our community in Portland to be able, for our students to be able to come down here for tournaments and, um, our adult community to be able to catch a professional event here, you know, to be able to walk in and just feel the buzz of 200 kids between the squash march program and Right. and Philadelphia schools being in here and their parents playing clinics and the, the local Philadelphia squash community. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I, that's, that's one of my, just one of my traits is being able to see spaces before they exist. I, I, you know, I, I guess, I guess that's a little bit of that, you know, visionary yeah. <laughs> trait that I've always had. But when I first walked into this space too, instantly I saw it full and it's it's going to be powerful yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah all right well you got to rep the shield right yeah respect effort positivity rep the shield and get ready for pcs 2.0 which we're going to be announcing in july right yeah. right yeah tell me a little bit about that what, what, what are the plans well we we were bottlenecking in three areas school so we needed more classrooms squash uh, we needed more courts and social. Uh, we needed more social, especially because we're doing a lot more family and parent engagement now. Right. So we're hoping to build uh, a cafe and event um, performance space, if you will. And we have some amazing um, parents and board members getting involved, building out the event and culinary experience at Portland Community Squash. Yeah, I saying. noticed you guys have a cafe, uh, a kitchen. Yeah. And that's really powerful for for kids to, sure to yeah that's been great our kids our kids yeah. really wanted a wellness component to our program and it's been it's been a huge success yeah. so bringing some of that culinary to the adult community yeah. on the squash side you know dreaming about the potential of potentially hardball doubles and and you know another singles court and then um just upgrading a lot of our exterior spaces as well so that we can gather outside during you know, all two months of, 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 summer. Uh, of summer and <laughs> living in Maine. <laughs> well, I noticed right now you have like a barbecue uh, space and a pickleball court. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's already uh, pretty inviting. Definitely. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't forget to throw lots of parties. That's yeah. my advice to squash players around the country. Well, you told me about the, you call it the squash ball. Oh yeah. And so everybody comes in black tie. It's, well, it's, it's, it's kind of dress your best. But don't forget your squash shoes. So, got, so you have to wear squash you've shoes. You've got gowns and tuxedos and, uh, you know, 
authentic African attire on, you know, people getting all dressed up and then squash shoes and kicks. Yeah. <laughs> so we, yeah, that's, that is, that's a big party. Chandeliers over the courts. Um, great food. Yeah. Party, think, go, party goes all night. That is a, a, a real strong message. Like, you know, don't forget to have fun. And, and that the, the most important thing is having fun and, and friendships and definitely, and, um, we have, we have 80 committee members across a dozen committees. And the only reason people, you know, volunteer, well, one of the big reasons they volunteer their time and their expertise is because a committee meeting should be a party too, you know, have a good time, get some food out, um, make sure you leave some time to socialize and connect and, and make sure that that diversity and inclusion runs, not just through your programs, but all the way through the governance of your organization as well. Because, yeah, your mission should be top to bottom. You know, here at the Spectre Center, we were saying, you know, should community squash be a program here? No, every program here should is community sure. squash. Right. Every, every committee that we run, you know, every board seat. So um, it, it really is a, it's a, it's a, a mantra that, that you can apply to, the, to your entire organization. Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer, Grant Irving, and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and more importantly, have spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash friends. And may all your nicks roll.